Welcome to Full Scope, a podcast with two guys in their 20s, giving their perspective on the games that we love, the headlines in pop culture, and the meaning behind it all. I am Hill Swans and Burns, and my co-host, Ivan Morris, is not here at the moment. Um, but for, for now, we're joined by a special guest, first-time guest, Kevin Brill. I'm a loan mortgage officer who's worked for Cornerstone Mortgage Solutions for the past three years. Um, Kevin, thank you so much for being on the first time. Hey, I appreciate it. Thank you, Wellington. Yeah, absolutely. And and for this episode, we, we have a loaded one tonight. Um, for the first half, we're going to get into um, several sports topics. And um, the second half, we're going to do some album reviews with Maurice Hendricks and also just thoughts on Fashion World Fest- Festival Tragedy and Kanye West, a new interview on Drink Champs. In the last half, we're going to do a review of Dune. But to start off with the breaking news of Odell Beckham Jr. headed to the Rams, um, he started to finalize a deal with LA today. And um, the free agent wide receiver is joining a high-powered offense led by Matthew Stafford. And um, they're currently second in the NFC West. Um, but to start it off, Kevin, kind of like, what are your initial thoughts on this acquisition and just how much better this makes the Rams in an extremely competitive NFC? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it was a great addition for the Rams to go after because uh, obviously the Rams are a strong playoff team this year in the NFC, um, where I think at the beginning of the season we were – a lot of people were saying that uh, the Bucks obviously were the uh, leaders in maybe repeating as Super Bowl champs, but I think yeah. after they played the Rams, we saw how strong the Rams were and they had a great they have a, already a great passing game. And to add, you know, Beckham to the to the receiving core, it's just going to make them even more stronger. And I think that uh, I think with him, it just the Rams are going to go deep into the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it really it really does feel feel as though one of those things where they can make a deep run now. Do do you feel as though because because I, I was listening to some analysts earlier today and they were talking about how they were some of them were kind of surprised that he didn't choose a team where he would be the focal point like a maybe a Kansas City or a Green Bay. Um, do you feel as though with this like selection, it was one of those more so where he felt as though at this point in his career he kind of needed a place where he 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 would have a better chance to win and go further than just kind of being the focal point and having, you know, amazing stats, but nothing to show for in terms of, you know, actual success. Yeah, I think as players get uh, later in their careers in the NFL, they realize, you know, they only have so many more years left. And now it's not about stats anymore. It's about winning a championship. So I think Mm -hmm. obviously, you know, we heard the rumors that maybe the Bucs were interested in them, uh, the Rams. So obviously, you know, he was looking at teams that, could possibly get him a championship. So I think, right. you know, I, I, you see it all the time happen with players um, over the years that when they get older, they want to go to a team that gives them that shot at getting that Super Bowl ring. I think that's exactly what happened here with him is that he definitely had narrowed down his choices to teams that thought that he thinks it can get him there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and now transitioning to just thoughts on Buffalo's surprising loss to Jacksonville. Um, this past Sunday, the Jaguars had a surprising a 9-6 home win, and the Bills lost for the second time in seven games, and you know, Josh Allen completed 31 of 47 passes for 246 yards with two picks and a fumble. Um, what are your thoughts on this just upset loss for Buffalo and how Jacksonville was able to you know, hold them to such a low score? Because Buffalo Buffalo really has looked like a, a top-tier AFC, AFC team having you know big premier wins, um, such, such as earlier in the season with Kansas City, and now it, it was... It was the type of loss that, you know, it, it can happen in the middle point of the season when you kind of have your guard down. But but did this, did this like, outcome kind of say to you more about what Buffalo wasn't able to do or maybe what Jacksonville was able to do at home? Uh, I actually, 
as everybody else was, I'm sure, shocked by the the upset win by Jacksonville. Um, mm-hmm. But I think what Jacksonville really did was, I think it exposed some weaknesses on Buffalo's offense, uh, especially right. the offensive line, um, because uh, Buffalo offensive line gave up four sacks. There were six tackles for a loss. Um, I think when you and when you see that, um, and al- also constant pressure on the uh, quarterback. I mean, throwing he they forced him to throw two interceptions. So and then also on top of it, held Buffalo to only seventy-two yards rushing. So I think it really um, kind of exposed the offensive line for Buffalo. And so where I think you know we thought that Buffalo had this amazing offense, high-powered offense. Um, yeah. Now I don't know. I mean, it it, it shows some things about their offensive line. I think that. Um, that you can stop their their offense, which now makes me wonder, you know, is this a team that's going to go deep in the playoffs? Absolutely. That that really is the question now because you are because because now we're getting to a transition to our next topic with with Tennessee and them possibly looking like the team to beat in the AFC and just their impressive their impressive road win against uh, the Rams with a twenty eighteen a twenty eight to sixteen win. The Titans defense was just you know. Very effective, and Jeffrey Simmons had three of Tennessee's five sacks. And um, Matthew Stafford, you know, did not have his kind of usual surgical passing performance, throwing the twenty fourth pick of his um, pick six of his career. But kind of just like, what are your thoughts on a statement win from the Titans? And to you, do do they kind of look like the best team, um, or, or just kind of the team to be in the AFC right now? Well, you know, Tennessee just is kind of a mystery to me because going into the season, definitely I thought one of the front runners in the AFC. Um, and then they've struggled a couple of games and mm-hmm. not looking like a championship team. I thought that when Derek, you know, Henry, and losing down, Derek Henry. Yeah, yeah, I thought for sure that might be it. And then, then they step up and beat the Rams, a very strong team. Uh, so I, I, I still think that they're going to be a mayor, a major player in the AFC playoff picture. Um, I, I think they, I think their defense actually is going to, what's going to help them get there. Um, and, you know, hopefully, um, you know, I think they've always obviously been leaning on a strong run game uh, mm-hmm. on their offensive side. So I think that's going to really be a, it's going to be telling if they're going to make a deep run in the playoffs this year. I think it's going to take their defense really just stepping it up and then, you know, really helping out their offense. Definitely. Um, and, and now transitioning to the Chiefs, you know, just close win versus Green Bay and Jordan Love's um, early struggles. You know, Kansas City was able to pick up a 13-7 a home win, just home win, and snap the Packers' uh, seven-game winning streak. Patrick Mahomes only went 20 of 37 for 166 yards, um, his fewest in a full game of his career. Um, to, to you, like, what are your thoughts on just kind of the struggles we're seeing with Kansas City? Because we're used to seeing them just kind of, you know, have be able to score just so effortlessly and be able to keep the the, the offense j- j- just humming at a at an elite pace and also with Jordan Love struggles with Green Bay, what did that kind of tell you about Green Bay's future um, after Rodgers? Yeah. So Kansas City, you know, going back to last year's season, you know, they just put up unbelievable numbers, were dominating. And then when they got to mm-hmm. the Super Bowl, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers really exposed their offensive line and their yeah. weaknesses. And so, but in the offseason, you know, Kansas City really tried to go out there in the free agency and address those issues. Um, which uh, I think they felt like they did. But then in this game, I feel like it's showing, or even not just this game, but even the whole entire season, they're, they're struggling. And again, it's back to the offense is really struggling this year again. So I don't think they found the answers uh, to protecting their quarterback. Um, and so 
I just don't know. I mean, I think it's going to be a struggle for Kansas City to get into the playoffs this year. Uh, I don't think we're even talking about them you know, going very far. I think it's now a question of, will they even make the playoffs? Uh, and I think it's going to come back. And who would have ever thought we would, we, we would be saying that? Like, <laughs> who would have ever thought we would be saying that in the middle of the season? Well, because before the season started, you know, most people were predicting that it was going to be a repeat in the Super yeah, Bowl. Yeah, of Kansas City, Tampa Bay. Yeah, it was going to be a, a repeat. So now... And that's the thing, like like pre- premature predictions before you really know the lay- the layout of the land of the season. You, you, like it, it may sound good last February, but but w- once you get to the season, actually see who who's bringing what to the table and who are kind of going to be the breakout players, you really can't even say it confidently. Right, right. And I mean, and I again, it, I'm, this is kind of a common theme tonight. It's not what we're talking about, but I was impressed with Kansas City's defense. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's what really won them the game. Uh, they were constantly. Uh, blitzing, uh, all, I mean, most of the game, which I expected that with a, a pretty much a not really a rookie quarterback, you know, but somebody who's making their first start in the NFL, I would have expected the other team to be blitzing a lot. Yeah, I felt like that Green Bay's coach, for whatever reason, was not expecting that. I don't understand that because I didn't feel like that they were really uh, had a plan to protect him back there. Uh, yeah. You know, because I mean, they literally Green Bay, uh, it, they just put constant pressure on him. I mean, I felt like Jordan Love's numbers were actually pretty decent. I mean, 19 of 34 for 190 yards, and he had a TD and just one interception. So I think for his first start, I felt like under the under the circumstances of being blitzed so much, uh, I felt like he did pretty good. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I, I think that, I, I don't I think the jury's still out on whether Jordan, you know, Jordan Love is going to be the next franchise quarterback for Green Bay. But I felt like under the circumstances, I thought he did. I thought he played very well. Definitely, and obviously, like with Green Bay, like the major headline is Rodgers being out, and you know, um, him having COVID, and then kind of like he wasn't like one hundred percent honest about like how he actually uh, his approach to the vaccine, and um, and just just actually what were the specific details of it? Because you know, the the NFL's policies are like if you don't if you if you're not vaccinated. You, you should be should be wearing a mask at all times when you're on the sidelines and even on the field. Um, but in terms of just like how how things play out for the rest of the season with Green Bay with Rodgers, they were seven and one coming to that game, beat Arizona on the road, and just were were really clicking on all cylinders. Like, what, what are kind of your thoughts of Green Bay with Rodgers and just how he had been looking um, so far this season? Yeah, I think with uh, with Rodgers, I think they're definitely going to be a Super Bowl contender. Um, I think, um, honestly, if I had to predict it right now, I think in the NFC Championship game, it's going to be Green Bay against Tampa Bay. Um, wow. So Re- Rematch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I think for whatever reason, they, they to me, they look stronger this year than they did last year. Definitely. Um, and so I think that, I just think the playoff season this year, on both sides, AFC and NFC, are going to be, is going to be very interesting because there's so many teams that, Right now, especially on the NFC side, it, to me, it's a toss-up who could make it to the Super Bowl. Um, and so it could be a number of teams. So I think it's just going to make it really entertaining uh, to watch the playoffs this year. Yes, definitely. And and now getting into um, most intriguing Week 10 NFL game, you know, every week, me and Savon, we, we look ahead to the next week and just kind of the games that stand out to us um, that, are, that are coming up. Uh, to me, like one of the, the main ones that really stands out in terms of just the significance of it, Chiefs Raiders, both, te- uh, both teams have five wins. 
Um, this is just a, a, a pivotal um, division division type of game, and we've seen that the question surrounding Kansas City's offense being able to pick it up, that's going to be just a major question mark. And also with what uh, Oakland has been able to do, having a successful run so far and trying to kind of like dethrone the Chiefs uh, in the AFC West is going to be um, pretty fascinating. Um, to you, kind of like what is your early most intriguing Week 10 game? Actually, I'm I'm interested in the Browns at the Patriots. Patriots, yeah. I mean, you got two five and four teams, mm-hmm. two teams, you know, trying to get into the playoffs. You know, with the Browns, they had high expectations this year and have been a little bit disappointing. Um, right. And then the Patriots, I think, I, I don't think people thought they were going to be five and four at this point. They've overachieved. Yeah, I mean, and they're getting better. The last two games, they've shown significant importance. You know, Matt Jones is really coming into his own as a rookie quarterback. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't think people really expected that him to come along that far and that quick. Uh, but the only thing about this game this week, you know, for the Browns, I'm concerned Nick Chubb is out with COVID. Um, mm-hmm. It was just, you know, announced. So they were, they were already thin at running back position. So it's right. going to put more pressure on the passing game. And, and, then, and then on top of this, you just lost Beckham. So I mean, yeah. was, I, I don't. I think that insult injury. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, but again, there's a lot of high expectations for the Browns. I think the pressure there's going to be more pressure on the Browns in this game to win. Um, and I think I think I'm giving the edge to the Patriots right now. Uh, you know, to take that game. The Patriots kind of play with house money. I mean, nobody really had high expectations for the for for, for New yeah. England. I mean, the, it's real. The pressure is more so on Cleveland because we saw with what they did against Pittsburgh. Um, last year in the postseason, also almost beating Kansas City and um, j- just not being able to pull out, pull it out on the road. But another major headline that happened earlier today was was Cam Newton being signed to Carolina, going back Carolina on a one year deal. And obviously, like he has a major history there. One of they're probably their best player that they've ever had, and also um, getting to the Super Bowl but not being able to beat Denver. Like in terms of just all the surrounding questions about Cam Newton and will he ever get back to that elite phase. What do you think about just because this is this is not a very good team? I believe they're only like four and five, and, and still below five hundred. Um, what are kind of your initial thoughts on just how this this move and, and and fit could work for him again? I just feel like Cam Newton. Um, he had he has so much talent. I feel yeah. like in his whole career, he's never really been surrounded by all the right pieces, um, mm-hmm. and and really on a championship team. And I mean, early in his career, he had a couple of good seasons there where he had, you know, a good team and players around him. But for the most part, he hasn't. And I feel like, you know, here we, you know, it's the same situation. He's going to a struggling team. Um, obviously, they lost their quarterback, so they're bringing him in. So um, I just always would have been interested to see him play in a in, with a different team. Like, for example, it'd be interesting to see him go play at New Orleans under Sean yes. Payton. Yeah. Uh, I think under the right coach and the right team, I think he could definitely be a, a, a you know a, a great player. I just don't think he's ever really had that opportunity um, to be on the right team to give him the you know the, the players around him to give him that opportunity. Definitely. Um, and now transitioning to college football and just thoughts on you know Oregon being number three in the latest CFP rankings and kind of just their legitimacy. Um, this is their highest ranking since being number two in the college football playoff rankings back in 2014 and they're 8-1 and still have, you know, one of the best wins of the season uh, earlier in the year beating Ohio State. Um, but just kind of like, what are your thoughts on on Oregon having a high rating and if, you know, if this team can really be a serious contender? Because we all always know that the 
the Alabama, Ohio State, and Georgia's of the world are, are going to be mentioned in that that kind of final top tier. But but how do you think that this team can actually fare if they make it to the playoff? Wow, I, it's it's a mystery uh, because you know playing out there out west in the Pac-12, mm-hmm. um, the, and and right now the Pac-12 is I, I feel like it's kind of down. So I think the right. competition level is not really where it should be. Uh, you know, you mentioned the great win against Ohio State, and that was a, an amazing win. But then you had a bad loss against Stanford. Uh, and yeah. then you... It kind of cancels it out <laughs> when you have a, <laughs> yeah. a low loss like that. <laughs> yeah, and then you barely beat, you know, a 5-4 and four UCLA team. Um, yeah. So I think when you were talking about playoff teams, I think that, you know, if they had a loss to Ohio State, you know, but then they were really dominating their other uh, the other teams on their schedule... I think you could make an argument for it. I, I think it's the opposite. I think they, you know, they were they were pumped up for that one game, you know, playing the, you know, a big team highly ranked, and they pulled off the upset. But in the other games, they just haven't played at that, you know, playoff level. So it makes you wonder, like, when they do, if they do go to the playoffs and they play a Georgia or an Alabama, is it going to be a, you know, a lopsided, you know, loss for them? And that's yeah. always my concern with these with these other teams getting in. Like outside of the SEC and Big Ten, yeah. I, I'm always concerned about is it just going to be another like lopsided game? Because you you have the the build up expectation for it in these other conferences wanting like their 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 seat at the table and being able to j- just compete with the bigger top tier teams. But if you can't deliver, you know when it when the lights are the brightest, it, it's going to kind of take away just people's expectations for a competitive match. Right. I mean, and same argument goes for Cincinnati. There's yeah. Cincinnati sitting there undefeated, but it's like everybody's jumping over them. Uh, mm-hmm. If somebody loses in the top four, somebody else just jumps over them because, you know, the conference they're in, the competition. And, you know, in some of the t- games they've played, they've struggled. Uh, so um, I actually watched a little bit of the Tul- you know, Cincinnati-Tulane game, and, you know, they struggled. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's just uh, same thing with Oregon. I think when you have these teams, like you said, that are outside the SEC or the Big Ten, it's you. You question the schedule, you know, and the the toughness of the schedule. And even a, even a team like Oklahoma in past years, where they had a great offense, but their defense could do nothing. So right. so it it, it it can go. It can match up in so many different categories. Um, but moving on to just Alabama struggles and and also you know barely getting by LSU. Um, you know they're currently eight and one and had a, a six point win at home against LSU, which you know has been injury depleted. And just the main issue we we can kind of see with Alabama is their offensive line not being able to protect Bryce Young and open holes for the running game. But in terms of just the current issues Alabama is facing and them, you know, not looking as dominant because, you know, they they, they definitely should, should be able to win out the rest of the season. But the big match would definitely be Georgia and SEC championship. And Georgia has just looked like the clear cut best team in, in, um, in college football so far. But what are your kind of just your thoughts on how Alabama has looked currently and just them not really looking like their dominant selves. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we're not used to seeing this from Alabama, but I think they're in a, maybe call it a semi-rebuilding year. Mm-hmm. Um, and But still, I, I just feel like even going through a semi-rebuilding year and um, maybe being a little bit not the high standard that we've used to see of Alabama, I still feel like they're a top-four team in, our, in the country and they should be in the playoffs. I think, uh, one, their defense is a top tier defense. And I think, and also too, just going back to the coaching, you got Nick Saban. So every game that they're in, that they're playing, they're going to be in the game, all four quarters. So, mm-hmm. you know, 
And two, when they're playing in the playoffs against you know tough competition, they're going to step up to that competition. And, you know the the Alabama LSU game, that's a that's a big rivalry game. So even yes. though as down as LSU is right now, um, and it's, same thing with like Alabama Auburn. I mean, there's been years that Auburn had a really down year, and they would pull off the upset against Alabama. So when you get in those type games, uh, I expect them to be closer than what most people do because I just know it's a big rivalry game. And, you know, with LSU's coach going out after the end of the season, that was kind of like the Super Bowl for them. And it really is for all teams playing Alabama. That's, yeah. that's, that's, that's their biggest game. Yeah. <laughs> that's like, the benchmark. <laughs> and exactly. So Texas A&M had Alabama at home. It became the biggest game of the season. Even, mm-hmm. you know, Jimbo Fisher before the season was calling it. He was saying they were going to beat Alabama. That was he circled that game before the season started and said we're going to win that game. Yeah. So you know, and, and everything went right for Texas A and M in that game because they because you just whenever you have a, a a win against Alabama, usually it's going to be one of the things where Alabama makes mistakes they usually don't make, and your quarterback just has a flawless, just top tier level game, and, and literally all the, the the right ingredients just played out perfectly for Texas A and M. It did, and I mean, and as far as Alabama. Even when they, I'm expecting them to play Georgia in the SEC championship game. And even if they lose to Georgia, I still think they should be in the playoffs. I think we should have those four best teams. And a lot of people are going to probably be upset that Alabama with the two losses making it into the playoffs because that would be the first time ever. But I still think they're one of the four best teams in the nation. And honestly, that SEC championship, because I, I feel like sometimes when you don't get both SEC, te- SEC teams, that game could actually like feel like the best game of the season, like the national championship. Like, Do you feel as though with that game, we're going to see maybe Alabama elevate the level of play that they're at? Or do you feel as though it's one of those? Because it, it, it's still early. But do you, do you think it may be one of those things where Georgia, in terms of just how you see that matchup playing out now, do you feel as though Georgia is, should still be, should, should be the favorite in that matchup? I think they. I think Georgia will be favored. Um, yeah. Especially just the way that defense is playing for Georgia. I mean, mm-hmm. I, they honestly look like an NFL defense. I mean, yeah, they do. <laughs> that defensive line. I mean, they're bigger. They can than, play on Sundays. <laughs> yeah, they could. And some of them are bigger than the guys that are playing on Sundays. So yeah. I mean, that's what's amazing. So I think just their because of their defense. I mean, they're shutting mm-hmm. teams down. I mean, hardly anybody can score against them. Um, I, I haven't seen a defense that good in, in years. Uh, and I think their defense they have this year probably ranks better than most of the Alabama defenses that we've seen in the past. So That's very true. Yeah, so I mean, they have got the defense at a high level right now. And yes, I think you know, they're going to definitely be favored uh, in the playoffs to win it all, for sure. Absolutely. Um, and now interesting to the NBA, which is thoughts on, you know, if the Heat or Nuggets um, can go further in the playoffs and their respective conferences later in the season. Um, th- there's been major drama that's been circular, uh, circulating around both teams um, from this past Monday night's game as, you know, the Nuggets won by 17 and Jokic was um, ejected for slamming a shoulder into Markeith Morris. Um, the Nuggets are currently six in the West and Miami is, is um, I believe, third in the East now a- a- after their loss, overtime loss to um, uh, the Lakers last night. But both teams are battle-tested when it comes to the postseason. Um, you know, when Jamal Murray comes back for Denver is, is kind of their main question going forward. But, but which team are you kind of more confident in terms of who, who could go further down the road in the playoffs? Yeah, I really feel like uh, I feel like the Nuggets. Yeah. Uh, when we get to the, you know, the NBA season is such a long season. Yeah. And when you get to the end, it's, it's a start, marathon. Yeah, it is. Exactly. <laughs> and so I look at some of the things about the Nuggets. Um 
they're one of the best rebounding teams, you know, rebounding about 48, 48 rebounds per game. Uh, uh-huh. Third best defensive team currently, you know, limiting opponents to 100 points per game. And that's and they limited the Warriors to 98 points and limited the Suns to 91 points. And that those are two high power offenses. Um, and then, and that's with having Murray out. So right. they get Jamal Murray back, um, uh, which is just going to improve their offense drastically. Uh, I just feel like at the end of the season, going into the playoffs, I think the nuggets are going to be in position to go deeper in the playoffs than the heat. And, and a couple of years ago, they were in the Western conference finals against the Lakers with Murray. So mm-hmm. that, that shows you how far like, like that team can, can go, can go with him. Um, and, and also like you look at a loaded West, which is just, it has so many really elite teams because Golden State, they're currently at the top 10 and one, the Lakers, they're still, you know, kind of figuring things out at, at seven and five. Um, also you, the, the, the Utah, w- 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 the Utah factor, and just in terms of just how they sometimes can have a very successful regular season, but just not deliver in the postseason. like Donovan Mitchell steps up, but the other players don't kind of, you know, um, don't have an, an effective series. What teams do you feel as though um, are actually like like legitimate? Do you feel as though Golden State can kind of stay at that that top tier level, or maybe a team like the Lakers or or, or Utah or even Denver could, could um, kind of be a, a bit higher? Um, I think that the team now, and I wouldn't have said this before the season started after what kind of season they had last year, but I think it's definitely the Warriors. Uh, mm-hmm. When you look at what they're doing now, and they don't have Wiseman. And they don't have Clay Thompson, and those two players are coming back soon. So you right. add them to the, to the mix. That's uh, scary. That is That's very scary. scary. For the rest of the <laughs> I mean, it's very scary. I mean, they're ten and one, um, yeah. dominating. And I feel like the the team last year when they had so many injuries, they really didn't know how to play around Steph. And I think somehow in the off season they figured out how to complement him, and they're just playing at such a high level. Like they figured it out. And then you add Clay Thompson and, you know, Wiseman, which, you know, that was a big uh, opportunity for them to get him in the draft, you know, such a high pick and a big man in the middle. So, uh, and then look at what Wiggins is doing right now. I mean, Wiggins is just going crazy. And it's almost like his career has been resurrected at Golden State. So I really think that, and it's a it's a great system for him to 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 have his game resurrected in because Steve Kerr's system can can work wonders for anybody. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so I just feel like that, uh, yeah, the Warriors are going to be the team to beat in the West. Absolutely. Um, and, and now getting into just um, kind of thoughts on how well um John Moran has played for Memphis so far in their development. Um, he's currently averaging twenty six points per game, five rebounds, and seven assists. Uh, Moran has just the amazing ability to be unstoppable in one-on-one situations and is getting better at improving the way he sets up his teammates for, for good looks. Um, the Grizzlies, I believe, are, are eighth in the West right now. But kind of just what are your thoughts on the improvements Moran has made and just how it can continue to help uh, Memphis going forward? Yeah, I mean, he's definitely made uh, big, you know, big strides. Um, you mentioned the 26 points. You know, his career average so far in the league is 19 points. So yeah. based on this year, major jump, yeah, major <laughs> jump, major jump. And also too, I like his uh, three point percentage, uh, mm-hmm. career wise, he was 32.2%. This year he's at 36.7. So almost a 5% jump. Um, and that's huge. And I think we're, you know, you're, you're just seeing the level he's making this year is a big jump. Um, I think to, for Memphis though, as a team, 
to be more competitive. Um, they're just going to have to be more consistent defending and defending uh, the three. Uh, you know, last year uh, they were 23rd in turnovers committed per game, 23rd in three-point uh, field goal percentage. This year in turnovers, they're 16th. And in the three-point the three point, uh, percentage, they're four, 15th. So they've made strides, and I think that they're moving in the right direction. They've just got, you know, I think I think as the season goes on, this team is going to keep improving, and they might make a, a run at the end. I don't know if they'll, you know, get in, but I, mm-hmm. I think they're going to, I think they're going to be very competitive with everybody they play, and they're just going to get, you know, stronger as the year goes on. Absolutely, and and, and another thing, uh, now now getting into the to the Eastern Conference. The which I think I never thought I would say the Wizards are, are first in the East. Um, the, the the Bulls are, are also second in the East, and those have kind of been like the the two standout teams. Um, in, in terms of just which team do you think can can kind of be like more sustainable and actually be like a legitimate contender in the in the Eastern Conference? Uh, which one do you think like the with how 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 much success they're having now can actually like sustain that going forward deep into the season? I think. Uh... I would say the Bulls. I think they made some great off-season acquisitions uh, in free agency, um, and I really feel like they really uh, positioned themselves to really, again, they're, I feel like they'll get stronger as the year goes on, and I think when we get to the end of the season, they're going to you know, make a strong run in the playoffs. So I think I'm really watching the Bulls this year, uh, which is, to me, a surprise. I, I didn't. Yes. I actually thought... Uh, after watching last year's playoffs, the Hawks were just the going to team, and now they've come out disappointing this year. They've been very disappointing. Like, like do you attribute that to maybe like them, them just having? Because sometimes when you have a young team that makes a deep run, um, gets to the Eastern Conference Finals, and just feels as though they can like build off of that, do you feel as though sometimes at the start of the regular season they can kind of, kind of like have their guards down and just be waiting for that postseason run to come in instead of just you know, being aggressive from the jump. Yeah, well, you made a good point. They're a very young team. And and so last yeah. year, I think the one thing I felt like was missing in the playoffs for the Hawks was they didn't have enough uh, veteran leadership on their team. And so I think that's playing into the start of their season. I think they had such a great run that surprised everybody last year in the playoffs. And I think they felt like they were going to just continue that. But once you've made that great run and you've made a name for yourself that you're a great team, then everybody's, you're not going to sneak up on anybody. Everybody's coming after you. And I think, um, I think they'll be okay. Uh, I, I think that they'll, you know, figure it out and realize that they're going to have to really, you know, step it up every single game that they got because every team is going to give their best to beat them. Um, so I think, you know, as the season goes on, I think they'll be okay and they'll be in the playoffs. Question is going to be, again, how, how deep can they go in the playoffs? And I think it's going to really, if they don't, it's going to come back to that in not having the veteran leadership. Definitely. And, and, and last question in terms two, two major players are still out Kyrie Irving and Ben Simmons. If you had to pick between which one do you think will play first? Who, who are you more confident? In? Because obviously Ben Simmons is still out Kyrie. We, we don't know if he's actually going to come back, but in terms of both situations, which one do you think this player is going to actually return in, a, in the near future? <sighs> Well, that's a tough one because I don't know with Kyrie Irving, you know, with he if he's going to if he's going to take, yeah, take the vaccine or not. Yeah, <laughs> is how how far is he going to take this, and is he going to is he willing to set up the whole season? Um, you know, I that's the question. Ben Simmons, uh, I could see him on another team. 
I think he almost yeah. needs a fresh start anyway. I think he, he needs he, he definitely yeah. needs that. I think everything that yeah, everything that's happened that's with the 76ers, that relationship's been broken. Um and <laughs> I think for both parties, I think it would be great to, you know, see him on I think so I, I would have to say I think we're gonna see Ben playing <clears throat> before, you know, we see Kyrie Irvin. I think I think I think it won't be long. I think in a few weeks, I think Ben Simmons will be on a new team. Definitely. Well, Kevin, it, it has been a, just an absolute pleasure having you having you on and listen to all of your insights. And thank you so much for, for being on this time. I appreciate you having me, man. I really enjoyed it. Definitely. Well, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show. And uh, now we're getting to the second half of the topics and joined once again by special guest Maurice Hendricks, um, a multimedia content creator focusing on making music, film production, and video game design, and also has a new single coming out. Maurice, yes, welcome sir. back yes, to the sir. show. And pl- plug the new single. Pl- 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 plug the new single, too. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. So, you know, uh, the single is called Boy Wonder. I go by yeah. Reese, R E E C 3. Look me up on Spotify, all platforms, and, you know, check it out. I mean, if you like Definitely. It. Absolutely. Excited to hear that. And um, we, we have a lot of topics to get into for, for the second half with um, some album reviews. And also just first to start off with the Astral World Festival tragedy and also the Kanye West Ring Champs interview at the end of this. But um, dealing with just th- th- this tragedy and just how the situation came about um, this past fr- Friday night, eight lives were lost as there was a, a crowd surge at uh, Travis Scott's festival. The victims ranged from 14 to 27. Um, there have been lawsuits filed against Travis Scott and Drake and Day two of the Astral Festival was canceled, and attendees of the 2021 edition of the festival will also be refunded. But um, to you, Maurice, just what were your some of your thoughts on this devastating tragedy and just, you know, the chaos that surrounded um, how it unfolded? Dang, I didn't know Drake was also involved in the lawsuit. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, overall, I think, I think it's a terrible situation, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think a big part of it is that it's not really on Travis Scott or Drake to... Uh, control the crowd in a way that where they won't get hurt. That's really only event planners, the hosts of the event, and the people mm-hmm. that set up the event. So I think a big part of it is on them, and those guys should be the one held responsible. And I think everyone pointing the blame towards Travis Scott or Drake, I think needs to like take a back reevaluate, reevaluate, and really think like how could it be on the artist, you know. Because like at the end of the day, the artist is there to do the job. They're do the they're there to perform. They're not the ones taking it all up. They're not the ones playing it out. They have guys dedicated to this job, and so those guys should be the ones held responsible. On the other hand, though, you know it is on the artist to if they see something going on in the crowd, uh, regardless of what people say, regardless of how you know the event is set up. As the artist, the one that's like gathering everyone's attention at the time. They have the ability to just literally stop performing, you know, even if they get bad looks from their managers, blah, 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 whatever. You know, they, they have the ability to stop performing and, you know, take over and like, you know, try to control the crowd. So I think it's, you know, both parties' fault. But I really think that everyone blaming solely the artist just needs to take a seat back and like calm down. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, and And also there's the thing with Travis Scott's apology and just, you know, him talking about how devastated he was, what what happened, but wasn't you know got a lot of criticism for um, <laughs> you know for obvious reasons. If you see, if you see the if you see the video and watch it, and as he's really just been in hot water in terms of everything that that's gone about it. Like, what, what were just kind of your thoughts on? I mean, just also his apology, and also like the proper ways an artist should respond to this after it happens. First of all, I don't know who told him 
to do, bruh. There's something going yeah. on. Like, I, there's no way he actively recorded. This man turned on the black and white filter. Oh goodness! You know, started rubbing his face and was like, "Yeah, this <laughs> this, this, this is the one." Like, bro, like, come on, you that, gotta that, know not better. It. Than that's that. not it. You gotta know better. <laughs> that black and white filter really must have like been like, yeah, like, bro. His apology was like so like not intentional. Like it felt mm-hmm. like he did it out of a responsibility because like he felt like he had to do it, you know, yeah. not because he wanted to, but because he had to. And like people saw that. Like I saw that when watching the video. The intention wasn't there, the care wasn't there. And yeah, he might actually like be concerned about like the people that were lost, whatever, but you know, the craziest thing is, too, like, apparently he got a sponsorship deal with a company that, uh, well, one, he's paying for the family's funeral, but then he offered them, uh, like, mental health care. I think um, mm-hmm. it was, like, some company that he partnered with or whatever. Um, so, well, yes, it's good to promote mental health. Um, I don't know if, like, <laughs> if he's going to get a brand deal out of it. Like, that's, like, crazy to me. Like, yeah. So, it's just a lot of, like, sketchy things that 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 are happening around this whole incident. So, you know. And what's going on forward for concerts. Because we were talking about, before the episode of SZA, with how she was just checking to make sure everybody was good in her concert and that everything was going according to plan. And also just how, how like, artists, like, deal with these deal with the situation and with it going forward. Like, in terms of just the capacity and security surrounding these events, like, in terms of just what you experience and how you see these things go out for concerts, how do you think people will, will an artist will, will handle it going forward? Yeah, I mean, so I I feel like this is thing with just you know being a celebrity. I feel like I so I work um, at, at my school at UF right now. I work for the O'Connell Center, which is like an event you know center for uh, hosting different events, and we host concerts sometime. I've I've hosted a Playboy Cardi concert, a mm. uh, a Gunna concert, and basically there's just like huge barrier between like when the artist comes out and the crowd and man, gun and play we, we, we need to do, do, yeah. do the name drop on that we need to do <laughs> we need the one two name drop on that man he, he, he just casually added that in you know gun and play for you know i <laughs> no saw him backstage you know i got i got a what's up from him you know can you get us an interview for that <laughs> <laughs> i he's got a podcast <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, no. Nah. But no, there's like this huge barrier between like so like for example when Playboy Cardi came out, like bro, he didn't even want us to see him. Like we barely saw oh him for goodness. a second. Like uh, the he was freaking out. He was like, "Hey, you know, the his manager came out. He was like, "If you have any phones, put them away right now. He won't mm-hmm. come out if there's any." Like it was kind of ridiculous. Like I get it. Like you're a celebrity. You you want your your privacy, but like he was acting like, you know, he's a god or something. And so that there's there's this big barrier that exists between like a, a celebrity going on stage and artists going on stage and then the the crowd. And I feel like at this this performance, um, this festival, I think Travis Scott let that get to him. And so he he figured there's this big barrier between him and the crowd. And I think going forward, a lot of artists will start engaging with the crowd more and be and like people will see that they're just human. You know, at the end of the day, yeah. they're not like some sp- like crazy, you know, being, you know, like, and they, and the artists shouldn't act like they are. And I feel like a lot of artists do. But I think after this incident, a lot of artists will turn that around and start engaging with the crowd more. You know, we saw that with the Caesar performance. Um, recently on Instagram, I saw she like literally stopped the concert and like 
make sure mm-hmm. this girl was okay. She like pulled her over the barrier and everything, yeah. like at the show, you know. And she has the power to do that as she's the one that's drawing in the attention. So, absolutely. Um, and now getting into our, our first album review with uh, Summer Walker's "Still Over It" and just kind of the major development she exhibited um, in her latest second album, which was just a very vulnerable album fueled by anger and grief. You know, those elements she used really helped her make some of the best music of her career. There was a lot of good pop songwriting when you look at songs like um, the Neptunes produced that right there. And mm-hmm. she is she has top tier features as always with some being SZA, Ari Lennox, Omarion, and Pharrell. But what were your kind of your initial thoughts, you know, of this album? And do you think it expanded on her previous album over it? Because the last time you were on, we reviewed that 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 um that uh, over it album from her. And yeah. even even Savon, like we were talking about it last Friday, he he really enjoyed this project. Felt as though it was um just kind of a return to her core sound. But kind of what were some of your initial thoughts of it? Man, y'all gonna crucify me when I say this. Oh, I'm gonna be honest. I I didn't like it, man. I wow. yeah. I I Maurice thought it has was... overtaken the the same on hot take. <laughs> I've really got to disagree with stuff. <laughs> Somebody's gotta do it. No, I'm just kidding. But no, I don't know. It just it. Okay, I definitely you liked um, over it better. Yes, for sure. I felt okay. like so she definitely got way more vulnerable, and you could tell yes. that, and I love that on this album. I feel like my main problem with this album was she didn't change up the style enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I I think the album stayed in this like in this like in this zone stayed there the whole time and didn't she didn't try anything new. I also didn't think there were any standout singles besides you know the one with Caesar because she had already released that. No love, but like yeah, and, no love. And, and, X, and X for a reason. Like, did you like X for a reason? Because a lot of people didn't like that single, but I felt as though it flowed better in the album. Yeah, I think it flowed better than in the album as well. I, yeah. I, I think the main, I, I, I think my main thing was just how slow the pacing was on this album. I think that's my my biggest issue. Um, there were no commercial I, hits. Yeah, like, there's no. You, you look at hits. you look at over it. There's mm-hmm. just so many, so many more commercial <laughs> yeah. hits. And maybe that's and, and that's not a bad thing. But I felt like the lack of verity wasn't enough for me to. Mm-hmm. Uh, accept it as like it's okay if there isn't uh, any commercial hits. You know, I don't really care about commercial hits, but like if you're just not changing your sound at all, then it gets like stale to me. And while I do think this is like a a very vulnerable album, and I think she really dived into you know her feelings and the writing was excellent on this. I felt like just the overall uh, variety of the content wasn't enough for me. But I think the mixing, the production was amazing as ever. Um, you know, but I think over it just really expand like the first, ver- you know, mm-hmm. For the over first it, not still, yeah. yeah. I think that album just like she had like this different sound that like I thought she was gonna like really go like stronger in this album, and to me she just stayed in this one pocket of like over it, like from over it. So because still, um, still over it was a break. It's it's a breakup album. Like yo, yeah, it, it, sure. it's all of it is is a breakup yeah. album, and that and that's what you're getting to in it. Um, in, in, in terms of just, just, just looking forward to what summer, like, summer can do. Wh- like, like, what do you want to see from her in future projects? Do you want to say something like similar to what you gotten over it, or maybe even something earlier in terms of just what what her sound can sound like, and her just kind of mixing things up and, and not kind of staying in the same pocket? Yeah. So I felt like the the pocket she stayed in this album. I want to call it like it was like. It was just like very gloomy and 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 obviously you know like it's a breakup album, but like it was just slow R and B. 
So I feel like a more uh, upbeat R&B is what I wanted from this album. And that's what I didn't really get. And I felt like Over It really had a lot of those songs where it was like more upbeat and um, more pop style like R&B. So I feel like she can get into that bag. Um, I think she has a very unique sound. Her, vo- her, her voice is beautiful. So I think if she just dives into that bag on her next project, um, I think I'm going to like it a lot better than, than I did this one. Definitely. Was there like a song or feature that that stood out to you on this one? I mean, like 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 maybe like one or two features, or, or maybe just a certain song that that even though like you weren't a huge fan of the project, that you feel as though like she did kind of deliver something in. Yeah, um, I think, I think uh, obviously Caesar killed her part. Uh, yeah, so I think that's crazy, and, and yeah. we're still honestly the, the 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 one album I'm still waiting on is the Caesar album for, oh, for yeah. this year. I don't for know because sure. TD they hold albums. But if she drops something in December, I feel as though she she could deliver like an elite project. <laughs> oh, for sure. Like I think I think Caesar is just really freaking amazing. Like, and I I would like to compare them to a lot because they're very similar. That's the artists. thing I was about to get to because yeah, a lot of people are going to compare. If if SZA drops something before the end of the year, they're going to compare these two albums. Oh yeah, for sure. And I think SZA is going to wash her. I'm not going to lie. I just think. Yeah. I, it's it's I a different know, level, man. That's a because yeah. I still listen to Control. I like Control is oh, still yeah. heavy in my rotation. Yes. Yeah. So I think I think um, you know I think Ari Lennox killed her part too. I was yeah. actually surprised to see a little Dirk on there. And he's getting I think a lot of features. He's yeah, getting a lot of features. <laughs> yeah, I feel like his verse was like I don't know. I, I like I the song more than I like his verse. Yeah, I'll it's say, almost I like the like, Bryson Taylor thing and over it. Oh yes! Oh my goodness! Yeah, I feel like maybe his his. He just didn't fit that track, you know. But I think yeah. overall the song was a good song with him on it. But um, yeah, that that's my that's my take. Definitely. Um, but now transitioning to Silk Sonic's uh, "Smoking Out the Window" review and just um, you know with this with this latest single and it being a follow up to "Leave the Door Open" and "Skate," this is just a, you know another smooth 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 track that highlights a throwback vibe. And this duo since March has really kind of perfected the build up to this album's release and you know dropping the perfect teasers to set expectations. But um, with this album dropping tonight and also just what they were able to do with this track, kind of like, what were your, your thoughts on this single and just your early expectations for the album? Yeah, I think this 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 one is a really good one. I, I it was This might be my favorite of theirs. Yeah, it was different than <laughs> Honestly, might. Open and Skate because it, 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 it was more vulnerable. They both were like telling the story of like, you know, this like bad thing that happened to them in this relationship or whatever. Um, or that they were spiting in this relationship, <laughs> like so much so that they're literally smoking out the it's window. It's about a girl who belongs to the streets, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> That's really what it is. <laughs> you got them stressed out and everything. So I like that vulnerability in the song because I felt like the other ones were definitely, you know, they were trying to be like radio hits, you know, they were trying to, yeah. you know, do that. So I feel like this one, it managed to accomplish that like radio hitness to it at the same time while telling a story and being vulnerable and, you know, having like, more content to their to their to the song than just like skate with me, you know. You know, I'm mm-hmm. not about to say. I wasn't I, <laughs> giving us a solo. <laughs> I, skate was actually my least favorite of of, of all the three. I, it, it, it it wasn't the one that like that that did it for me. And when when you look at just how these two how these two kind of coalesce their sounds, like has it surprised you like how well they've been able to flourish as a duo? Or do you think it's one of those things where it just it's just able to mesh because of just how talented. How talented um, individually these guys are. Yeah, man. I think I think they challenge each other a lot. I bet yeah. in the studio because I feel like they are very similar artists. I think um, 
you know, Bruno Mars is obviously more in the prop, the pop world, mm-hmm. and Anderson Pack is more in the R and B and and rap world. But I think they managed to really blend this combination together, and they can challenge each other and like push each other in the opposite direction of what they're used to. And I feel like that's why they're able to mesh so well, and they give us yeah. like this like really familiar sound, but it's also new at the same time. Definitely. Um, and, and now, like, do you, do you think this this album could be like an album of the year contender? Like, 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 do you think like this is how good this album could be? Because a lot of people just have high expectations for this. Oh yeah, I feel like I feel like it's not uh, advertised enough. Like, I feel like that, that is true. They, it's it's, yeah, it's like, gone under the radar. Yeah, like they're doing all this the branding for it with uh, you know, the same cover and these songs that they keep re-releasing. Like they re- they re-release Skate and Leave the Door Open. Mm-hmm. Uh, when they released "Smoking Out the Window," but like I feel like there wasn't enough buildup, or there, 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 there. I will say this: I think that the reception, their the expectation is uh, a lot, right? But yeah. I think there, there might not be enough people paying attention to it for it to be like album of the year. Now it might be like personal album of the year, though. Um, mm-hmm. But I think it's gonna be slept on a lot. Definitely. Um, and now I'm transitioning to Big Sean's um, uh, What You Expect EP review. Um, and, and this six-track uh, six EP, Big Sean and Hit Boy's chemistry is just, you know, on point as he's more exact with his words and more aggressive. Um, the punchlines are top-notch and Hit Boy just shows so much versatility. Um, kind of like, what were some of your thoughts on this EP and just, you know, him deep diving into kind of, you know, like revelations about his career and uh, past relationships? Yeah. Yeah, this is a very solid... Uh, body of work from from Big Sean and Hit Boy yeah. as well. You know, like you said, Hit Boy was able to be um, very diverse in his production skills, and mm-hmm. every every beat like did his job. Man, I'm not gonna lie, every beat was hitting. Goodness, like that man is a Hit Boy. You know what I'm saying? Like he's making literally. <laughs> it, it was like six for six in terms of just beat selection. I'm yes. like, I mean, like it's, yes. it, 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 even if you weren't a huge fan of the song, the beat saved it. Yes, man. Yeah, and that's that's what I was gonna say. I felt like. I think because the beat was so good, on some of the songs, I feel like Big Sean and his features might not have lived up to the beat. And I and I loved every, all his which verses. Which one would you say didn't live up? All right, look, specifically, yeah, it's not even the fact that it didn't live up, because I still like the song. I added it to my playlist and stuff. Um, for example, Loyal to a Fall with Bryson Tiller. I knew you were going to mention that one. Yes, bro. <laughs> I wanted Bryson Tiller to go off, man. And I feel yeah. like he got to this peak and he just stayed there. Like It like could have been more. That yes. song could have been more because that yes. beat is just insane. Big Sean's, Big Sean's verse was a little lacking to me. Lil Dirk, I don't know what he was doing on the verse. Like, he just kind of, <laughs> you know, like, I, like... <laughs> Look, it, it I, just, I feel like if it, the idea of it, the idea of it was just yes. seismic. It was like a, a great idea, but yeah. it just kind of fell flat. It just yes. didn't go anywhere. Yes, literally that. Like it, 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 I whenever I heard the beat, I like heard the potential. How Big Sean was on the chorus, like I, I love it. But then, like when you got to the verses, it was just like lacking. You know, it fell flat. Yeah. So, but I really like Into It as well. I think that was like one of his best songs. That's probably my favorite favorite. Yeah. Favorite his, on it. his articulation, his flow, you know what I'm saying? His lyricism in that song. It's probably, you know, top notch, you know, Big Sean and stuff. I was expecting some disses on there, you know what I'm saying? The way That's was, what I'm saying. It, it, because going. with Big Sean, like he it's all it's always been like one of those things where like if you look at the the top three or the top tier like artists, he's always kind of been left out of it. Like do you feel as though it's one of those things where he just kind of always feels slighted and feels as though like, you know, he has to have that chip on his shoulder and just kind of, you know, Go at, go at people. 
Oh yeah, I think I think that's a big thing for him because like he's never in that conversation of top three, even yeah. though people put him in top four. You know what I'm saying? They put him in the top four sometimes. Um, I would put him in top four, you know. But my yeah, thing bro. is, Big Sean is so inconsistent that that's why he's not in the top three. You know what I'm saying? And like, because I mean, Detroit too was phenomenal. Yeah, like, like, like that was a phenomenal, was phenomenal. body work. Yeah. But, like, I think some of his other songs are just, they just fall flat. And I think that's the issue. Like, a lot of Drake songs, a lot of Kendrick, a lot of J. Cole songs, they don't fall flat. They just, they just stand the test of time. <laughs> you know, it's either, it's either a good song or a bad song. But, yeah. like, but none of the songs fall flat. Like, a, a lot of things with Big Sean is like his songs just fall flat. And that's why, like, people are confused on like where they should place him because, like, like, yeah, he's like hidden, but he's not like hidden like how Drake hits or how J. Cole hits. Mm-hmm. Our Kendrick kids, you know, so that's like definitely. I think that's a big takeaway. And and, and then looking back, just just because I'm, this has been a packed year for albums. Me, me and Savon have talked about just like some of like our favorites over the weeks. Like in, in terms of just like the 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 kind of the sustainable albums this year that have kind of like stuck with you and you feel as though will kind of be your favorite to, to the end of the year. Like like which new ones are kind of like still in your rotation and, and you still feel as though are just top tier bodies of work. Uh, from this year, I would say yeah, this year. You know, honestly, okay, so definitely, obviously, Certified Lover Boy. You know, I've been listening sure. to that. Um, I will say I haven't gone back and re-listened to Donda yet, which is kind of surprising. Um, it, although it, I do it's, like for me, it's like, like bits and pieces of it. Like, Because yeah. like, I've been going back and listening to, like, older Kanye albums, like My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy, yeah. Jesus. Like, you look at those those other, like, body bodies of work that, that just stand the test of time, and you can just go through all of them without skipping. That's, yeah. To me, that's just not what Donda is. Oh, yeah. And I think a lot of it is, like, too, like, it, since it was so tied to this experience that Kanye, you know, created for it with the, you know, the uh, the previews of the album and listening parties, since it was so tied to that experience and he gave people an experience, which is why a lot of people think it was amazing, it actually, yeah. like, it made it to where it was, like, a heavy thing to, like, get into because, like, when I think of Donda, I think of an experience I'm about to have listening, and I want to listen to the Not whole album. project all the way through. You know what I'm saying? So like, I feel yeah. like I, I I can't like go to individual pieces without like listening to the whole thing, and you know. So I feel like a lot of the individual songs that stood out, you know, what I'm saying like Jonah and mm-hmm. like uh, Hurricane. Hurricane, I feel like was the only one that was really truly a single. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. All the other songs were just so tied to the experience of an album that like it's like. You know, I don't want to get into that, you know, right now. I want to listen to just one song and then, you know, go to the next artist. So, uh, mm-hmm. but I would say the Tyler album still heavy rotation. It's crazy. Call me if you get lost. It's just yeah. exceptional. So, I think that's still my album of the year, to be honest. Um, I haven't really listened to anything else that has lived up to it so ha- far. Has the off-season stood up for you or is it one of those things that's just… Oh, no. Kind of, you're no. having in between. No, yeah, really. It's, it's just wow. not in my rotation. It's yet. not it. Yeah, I listen to some of the songs still, but it's not like because I, I definitely... it's it's so weird to me because like there's a yeah. contrast. Like the people that aren't into J Cole love that project, and the people that really like J Cole are just not into that project. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just like it's a start because for some people it really did it for them, but the ones who are yeah. just like the tried and true fans, they felt as though it just wasn't what they were used to. Yeah, for sure. Like I think I think um, a big part of it was like he. He kept, like, before he dropped it, he was like, oh, yeah, this is the best boys I've ever had in my life, you know? Yeah. But it's like, bro. Beeped it up. Yeah. The people <laughs> who actually knew, like, his old music knew he's been, you know, better than that. Or it's not even that he's better, like, lyrically. It, I think it's more so, like, the, his style of rap was just different in that project. Yeah. 
Um, I still liked a lot of the songs, but like it just it didn't live up to the hype that he you know tried to give it. So, um, but other than that, I think the only other project that I've had in my rotation, you probably won't know this artist, but there's this there's this a uh, YouTuber named Quedeca. Um, mm. and, and there's this album called From Me to You and it's a really cool album I think you guys should check it out it's like okay. he tied this like cinematic experience within the album so the production is insane and he produced it all himself um, but I've been listening to that that project a lot so I would check that it's out tough. definitely um, and, and now getting into just kind of thoughts on some of the major headlines from Kanye West's um, interview with Drink Champs um, you know this is Kanye's just first major public interview since the release of Donda and um, he discusses a whole range of topics you know some of the major take- takeaways were him regretting to, uh, regretting to sign Big Sean, um, being anti-cancel culture, him viewing producer Just Blaze as a copycat due to the Blu- Blueprint album and his, you know, confidence in beating Drake in a hypothetical versus battle or just any artist in, in his opinion. Um, in terms of, you know, just what I think was just, uh, as we were mentioned before, a really fascinating interview, you know, even the, even the second, even though the second half, it was kind of like more of, you know, uh, Kanye's rants, we really see in the first half just the genius that he has and just in terms of just the history of hip hop that he knows and also what he's thinking as a creator, it, it can kind of get like miscued in terms of just like who he really is in terms of just the disses that he throws out. But still, like when you let Kanye just be Kanye and him talk for a full two hours, you can really get a, just a wide ranging um, thought process of an individual. But what were some of your just thoughts on this just wide ranging interview and just, you know, some of the highlights from it? Yeah, man. I I really I really uh like this interview. I like I said before, um I think this is one of the deepest dives into Kanye's mind that I've ever like seen before. You really got yeah. to see how he thinks with how he talked, like in this interview how comfortable he was. And some of the stuff that he talked about was just like so inspiring to me as a creator because like when you think about Kanye, you think of him as someone who works in many lanes. He's mm-hmm. he does fashion, he does architecture apparently, you know. He does um, uh, music, you know. Obviously, we can't forget about that. And production, you know what I'm saying? And one of the things he said in the interview was he competes at a high level in every single category. He competes at the GOAT level in every category. Like with fashion, with the Yeezy brand, you know what I'm saying? He he does… He he competes at a high level as like one Mm -hmm. of the GOATs in every single one of those categories. And me as a as a multidisciplinary creator, that's something that I want to live up to. You know, that's something that I think I can do. So just like watching this interviewing and and seeing like like how it's actually true what he said, it like inspires me to be like, dang, I actually can do this. You know what I'm saying? So it was a very inspiring interview, and you know, I really enjoyed watching it and, and getting a dive into to his mind. Definitely, and, and I mean like the. the- the dis like some of the disses that he, that he throws out, especially like 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 w- w- with Big Sean and like him regretting uh, to to sign him, and also just the, the the Just Blaze controversy. Like, do you feel as though with an artist like Kanye, because he's had beefs with with, with 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 so many artists? Obviously, the the the, the Drake beef, beef has been at the top of um, beefs this year. Do you feel as though it's one of those things where it, it's it's kind of been the history of what Kanye has had in his career, or one of those things where he he kind of has shaded people that didn't really deserve it at the time, but he just kind of, you know, misconveyed things. Yeah, that, that's, that, I was very surprised that he did that to Big Sean. I was stunned. That's I pretty disrespectful. That. I'm not going to lie. Like, yeah. like your own person that signed you, the person that literally like without Kanye signing Big Sean when he did, Big Sean would not be where he's at today. Like Mm-mm. if I was Big Sean and the person that literally made my career, 
obviously Big Sean is his own artist and stuff, but the person that he licked up, looked up to, he's made music about, you know, jaded him like that in an interview, I would be very hurt. Like I would, I would <laughs> that's unforgivable. And I get it. Yeah, Kanye it is. is like pissed off because, you know, uh the election thing with like Big Sean and and, yeah, and John Legend. Yeah, John Legend, like not voting for him and not supporting his campaign, but like like that's that's like letting your political views get in the way of like your actual like relationship. This personal like connections yeah, like that you've had for years. Yeah, like if like there's no way that a political view is tearing you apart. Is that from, big? You know what I'm saying? So like, so yeah. I would I would feel pretty you know jaded if I was if I was Big Sean, you know, and you know I'm not saying I would write a diss track or anything, but like I would have some heat, you know, you know, stored away. So. That that's that was probably one of the craziest things in the interview was the fact that he said that about Big Sean. Definitely, and another thing is like I know like we compare like like him and him and Drake get compared so much in, in their albums as well. This year, he gives a lot of credit to Drake throughout yeah. this interview, and and, yes. and that's something I think people slept on, which is like how much he admires Drake. And obviously, like they, they've taken subliminal shots at each other. Do you feel like that? Like how much did that surprise you? And also, like whenever Drake does his interview, like do you feel as though that will get the same type of reaction of, of respect from Kanye, or do you think it will be a little different? I, I actually, I expected Kanye to, I, I, it didn't surprise me because I already knew that that Kanye, and Kanye has this like idea about Drake, like what he said. And the same thing for Drake, yeah. for Kanye. I don't think, if, if Drake does do an interview like this, um, and interviews he's done in the past, like if he's jaded by a person right now, he's not going to, own up to that, you know. He's not gonna own up to like, at all. Like he wouldn't do that. Like obviously, like and and Duppy Freestyle, you know. He's like, oh, you know, I'm glad to see the teachers are learning. You know, what I'm saying, blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. Even though that's paying homage to like what Kanye has done in his life, like he is openly like he wouldn't, he would never openly like be like like Kanye was literally not taking the beef seriously. Like it, from what he told me, he was from yeah. what from what he said in the in the interview. He was literally like, man, he ain't gonna do nothing. We both artists at this scale. And while that's true, like, if you really beef him... That like, is very true, though. Yeah. Like, nothing is gonna... Ha- yeah. those, those are not gonna do anything <laughs> to each other. <laughs> but the craziest thing is, like, you don't know how Drake feels in that situation. Like, Kanye doesn't know how Drake feels that's in That's the thing. Because what we're hearing this... Because a, a Drake interview is gonna be coming at some point. Yeah. This, this year. Do you think that he actually is- did it? Uh, I, I'm 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 really still on the fence about Especially that. Especially if they really got Kanye on it too, I'd be surprised. Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm really on the fence about that because because I I feel as though when when Drake does his interview, I'm just I'm really wondering if we're gonna get the same type of energy that 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 that, that we got from Kanye in, in terms of how he felt about what Drake did. Because like you said, it, it, if Drake is jaded about something, he he will not admit mm-hmm. to whatever he's been being accused of. Yeah, and I think uh, also uh, from from. Crap, what's his name? DJ... DJ EFN. Yeah, yeah, so I think... Yeah. So, dude, he was, like, all over, like, Kanye, bro. He was, like... <laughs> he was just, like, praising him up. You know, obviously, he's a... You know, he, like, loves Kanye and his respect to him. Which you're gonna kind of, like, bow down to your guests. Yeah. Like, it's just... It's kind of natural. But, like, my <laughs> thing is, like... The, is he gonna do that to Drake, though? Like, like... Ooh. You know, because like uh, you think the same. You you don't you think it's gonna be a different energy? Yes, especially if he hasn't done it yet, and I, I, that's what I'm saying. I wonder if he's seen the 
I think Drake has probably seen at least the interview. He probably didn't watch the whole. He's interview. definitely watched it. Yeah, he's definitely watched it. <laughs> he's probably writing lines about it right now. He's like Oliver Trump saying, "You got the link yet?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So like, but I wonder, like, I wonder, you know, for DJ FM, like, is he is he gonna treat Drake with that same respect in terms of like, oh yeah, you would watch Kanye. Because, like, literally when when he was talking about the... Because it's going to look so weird. Like, if you just weird, have... You, like, like, if they have him in December and it's like, yo, you just... On a month a month ago, you just said Kanye was going to watch Drake. Yeah, literally in the in the 1v1, right? He was like... Yeah. He was like, respect. Because when he was like, oh, yeah, I, I'd be Drake or whatever. And then he was like, yeah, that's what I want to hear. You know? So he was like hyping the <laughs> He would immediately respond. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you get him. Yeah. It's like, what? And so it's like, is he going to do the same thing to Drake? Is he going to be like, yeah, you man? Because he literally was just like, people are going to be people are going to be comparing that oh, instantly. Yeah. Like, you didn't have the same energy oh, last yeah. month. Oh yeah. So it's going to be interesting to see that dynamic. And I feel like the Drake interview is going to be a lot more stale compared to the Kanye interview, just because it, it, it's it is because he, he's yeah. he. It's it's going to be a traditional interview. Oh yeah, a lot like there. He's going to let people. He's going to let you. A- Ask the questions. He's not going to interrupt you. He's just going to let it be like a traditional oh, yeah, for sure. base interview. For sure. Yeah. Definitely. We're going to take one more break and we'll be right back with our Dune review. Welcome back to the show. And now we're getting into our Dune review. And to start with the overview, Dune is a 2021 epic science fiction film directed by Dennis uh, Villeneuve and written by uh, Villeneuve, John Spates, and Eric Roth. Um, it is the first of a planned two-part uh, adaptation of the 1965 novel by Frank Herbert, primarily covering the first half of the book. And um, set in the far future, it follows Paul Atreides as his family, the noble house Atreides, is thrust into a war for the deadly and in his inhospitable desert planet, Amaricus. And some of the ensemble class includes Timothy Chalamet, uh, Rebecca Ferguson, Oscar Isaac, Josh Brolin, um, Stellan uh, Scar- Skarsgård, and Dave uh, Batista. It had a budget of $165 million bringing in $332.6 million in the box office and had um, an 83% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. And just, you know, with how the film looks and sounds and it being just at an amazing quality and with uh, the hype building up for the sequel, um, what were some of your initial thoughts on it and you actually seeing it in theaters? Be- be- being a responsible moviegoer, <laughs> which, which I did not have the pleasure of doing, but kind of what were some of your initial thoughts on it? Yeah, bro. So, so I went in with not knowing anything about the movie, right? Not about the yeah. book series. I knew that it existed because my friends told me about it. Um, and so they said it was based off of, you know, this book series. And they just told me it was basically like Star Wars. Like Star Wars mm-hmm. got a lot of inspiration from this, you know, series. So, so you didn't um, even watch the original film? Oh, no, no. This wow. is the first time I've seen Dune ever. Yeah. Like, yeah. So... With that being said, like, the theater experience was insane, bro. Like, mm. like I said, I went in with no expectations. I was just excited to see this Star Wars, like, movie. But it's so different than Star Wars. It is nothing like Star Wars. Because, like, like I don't know how to describe it. But, like, the theater experience was so, like, you know, like, how, you know how, like, Batman broods, like, on the rooftop when it's raining and he's looking down at the city? Yes. That's the mood that this movie captured the whole time. Like, it, it just felt so, like, so, like, the characters felt so, like, cool to me. Like, I was literally like, bro, I want to be this guy so bad. Like, the mm-hmm. way they were dressing, you know what I'm saying? I was like, bro, I want to be in this, I want to be, like, in this universe. But I've never seen a movie that made me want to be, like, a character so bad. And, like, the soundtrack alone was probably the craziest thing about the movie. Goodness. 
Like honestly, it was more soundtrack than dialogue in that movie. <laughs> like it really Hans was. Zimmer, like <laughs> went crazy. Hans Zimmer's a ghost. Yo, like yeah. So like, but seeing that in the theater, I felt like really made the experience like that because I felt like if I would have saw it like in person, like on my phone or in HBO, um, you know, you wouldn't be able to feel the soundtrack as much yeah. as you did because it was super loud in the theaters, you know, and it made me feel like I was in that universe, like I was one of the characters. So. I really appreciated it, and I I really like really like this movie, and I'm I would probably like watch it again, you know, definitely or something. So, yeah, and, and getting into the first topic from one to four stars, what would you give it? Um, kind of like what would be your particular rating for it, and some of your reasons. Uh, okay, let's see. I'm gonna give it. Uh, can we do in betweens? We we can do in betweens. Good. I'm doing three and a half. I'm doing okay, three okay. and a half. Same on's not here, so I'm gonna do. <laughs> 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 All right, I'm gonna do a. I'm gonna do a 3.7. Okay. And and I say that because I felt like the biggest thing that was missing was impact in this movie. Mm-hmm. When they were fighting, I don't know if you caught it, but bro, there was no sound effects when they were fighting. And Literally not at all. Just silence. Yeah. I'm like, what's going on? Like, do people, <laughs> do you not hear so many fighting? Yo, like, I'm like, yo, I get that they wanted this soundtrack to be like the main thing, but bro, you yeah. have to. You have to have like fighting noises, like have to, because there was no impact for me. That that's what was missing. Um, that that was the main thing that was missing was like impact from the action. You know, I wish I wanted there to be more action. Uh, I know this was like a, a big setup for like you know the future movies, but there definitely should have been more action scenes in this movie and then more impact from those action scenes. So that's why definitely. it's not a perfect four for me. Got it. And, and, and to me, I would give it three and a half. You know, this film just it properly sets the focus on the characters and you know was fully conceptualized with just kind of, you know, um, phenomenal set pieces uh, throughout it. And the, the thing is, like, a lot of people are saying the sequel is going to be, like, the pinnacle of this series, like, because because they're building up to a sequel. And this one kind of felt as though, like, it was kind of getting to that point, but it just wasn't, like, a fully con- uh, 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 a fully just thre- threshed out film that was going to kind of be that top tier, four star type of rating. But getting into favorite character, um, I would go with, with Stilger as... He was just a formidable leader and was the type of character that bases decisions on rationality and, and reason rather than simple emotion. Um, to you, kind of like who was your overall favorite character? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna say uh Duncan was the his <laughs> cousin, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah. So I'm gonna say Duncan. I felt like he was the most uh I wanna say human of of all the characters, other than like his dad. Mm-hmm. Um, his dad was very, like the main character's dad was very uh human as well. I felt like a lot of the other characters were like, like they they were like superheroes to me. So they like they felt like that Batman looking off into the distance kind of mood. But like like Duncan and and his dad, they they had humor to their character. They had like emotion. You know what I'm saying? So I like their characters because of that, and then also because Duncan, you know, he was the most like heroic of them all, like sacrificing himself. And then being able to survive uh, from the attack and all this stuff. So I really like his character a lot. Definitely. And now getting into most memorable scenes, um, I had the mysterious woman, Paul's visions. Um, also the sandworm uh, revealing itself. Uh, Paul hiding from the hunter seeker. Uh, Lady Jessica through Paul's eyes and also um, Ericus under attack. Um, to you, kind of like what were some of the scenes that, that kind of, you know, stood out to you in this one? Uh, I'm going to definitely say the, uh, so in the desert, uh, the mm-hmm. the spice stream, that kind of stuff. When when he when the sandworm was just coming up, and all the spice, the, all the spice was uh, affecting the main character. 
And then he found his dream. And also, um, I'm, I'm going to say the the whole sequence, the dreamlike sequence from when he was under attack from… Or when, whenever he put his hand in the little box thing. And he had to go through this like mental like uh, like trial, I guess. Um, that scene was pretty good to me too. Um, and and yeah, those those are probably my standout scenes. Definitely. Um, and now getting into um, most memorable quotes. Um, I had uh, dreams make good stories, but everything important happens when we're awake from Duncan Idaho. Um, also, you fight when, when the necessity arises, no matter the mood. From um, Gurney Halleck. Uh, also, a great man doesn't seek to lead; he's called to to do it. Um, He's called to it from Duke Leto. Uh, I am commanded to say nothing, to see nothing from Leah Kynes. The mystery of life isn't a problem to solve, but a reality to experience from Jameis. And then finally, uh, my road leads into the desert from um, from Paul Atreides. To you, uh, in terms of just the, the memorable quotes and the ones that were just kind of really, um, uh, j- just really uh, thought-provoking, which ones would you kind of select for this one? Yeah, I thought, I think the greatest one, uh, the greatest two, the ones that stand out to me and the ones that tie into the storyline the most. Where, of course, a great man doesn't seek to lead. He's called to it. And then also, uh, dreams make good stories. But everything important happens when, you're, when we're awake. So, we know that a big thing with the character is that he has these dreams where he can predict stuff that happens. So, uh, Duncan telling him that dreams make good stories, but everything happens. Everything important happens when we're awake. You know, he had this dream that Duncan would die, you know. And so, he thought he was going to die at that moment when he went right away. But he was he was telling the main character, he was like, yo, like, the, the important thing is that I'm present, you know, in the now and not, like, based off of this vision that you have, you know. And mm-hmm. then same thing with uh, with the Duke saying, a great man doesn't seek to lead, he's called to it. You know, he, he the, the, what is the main character's name, by the way? Like, you mean uh, Paul? Okay, his name is Paul. Okay. Yeah, Paul. I, I, I just keep thinking of his name as Timothy, but that's actually his name. <laughs> But anyway, so uh, so when Paul, you know, is talking to his dad and he's like, yo, I don't think I want to be leader. Like, that's not for me or whatever. And his dad is like, it's okay. But just know, like, a great man doesn't seek to lead. He's just called to it and he takes action. And it plays out in the scene where, you know, uh, Paul realizes that that quote is true and that he, he feels like he is called to it, you know, b- because after his father passes away, he realizes that he's the one that has to do it. This is yeah. the role that he's been given. This is the task that he's been given. And he accepts it and takes that upon himself. So that that's probably like a, mm-hmm. like a good like a fruition. Is long, oh, yeah. I guess. Absolutely. And, and, and another thing that's been discussed outside of this film is Zendaya's role in it. And her kind of just barely being in it. I, th- I think she was in, in it for about like uh, seven minutes. And yeah. this is this is a 155-minute long film. And when I saw Zendaya, I was like, I was expecting to see a lot of Zendaya. Yeah, <laughs> I was expecting to see a lot of Zendaya, and it, and it didn't happen. And, and they, they are saying that she's going to just play a heavy part into it for the sequel. But what were your thoughts on her just not being in it as much and also just what you, you want to see from her in the sequel? Yeah, the, that was so crazy that... <laughs> you know how much they advertise that That's Zendaya what I'm saying. I'm like, she's going to be in this for a lot. And not like oh, seven minutes. <laughs> Oh my goodness! I was I was laughing, bro. I was like, "Wow, she's she's barely." You only see her in like dreams, like like she just yes, shows up in bro. <laughs> she she literally got paid uh, so much money, probably, to just like stare at the camera and like exactly. have these super cinematic shots. I'm like, she barely said anything. One, I'm like, wow, that's that's goodness. crazy. But yeah, man. I mean, I'm excited to see what she does in this next uh next film. I, like I said, I don't know the story, and I'm mm-hmm. debating on whether I should read it or not. 
you know. But I think I want to just keep that, like, blind eye. And then I'm, like, curious to see what her character does and how, like, she plays a role in, in Paul's life. Do, do you so. think you'll have a different view of it if you, like, actually read the read the book? Oh, yeah. Because yeah. then I'm going to be expecting things that might not happen. Exactly. Or that should <laughs> happen, you know, or that didn't happen. And, like, and then I would be disappointed, you know. So I love, like, not being, knowing anything. being separate from it. Yes. Yeah. I like not knowing anything. But also... I've heard that the movie is actually a pretty good interpretation of the book, so it's definitely a little different than the book. Um, but, you know, maybe that would be cool to see, like, this different perspective of how they interpret the book, like, from the director um, as, like, a creative. But, you know, I, I also like being, like, a consumer and not knowing anything about it and just, like, going in with open with an open mind. Definitely. Um, and now getting into kind of just what do you like the most about the storyline – um, to me, just, you know, how it came with, with the captivating sheen of a modern blocks, blockbuster, but still complementing the the, unf, uh, the unflinching nature of older films and just like what what was in the past and them kind of bringing it to the present, I thought was 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 pretty accurate and pretty fascinating. To you, like what particular element of this storyline did, did you kind of like the most? Uh, I like the fact that it came full circle. Um, you know, like I said before, where his dad was like, yo, you know, you, you might not think that or you might not want to do it, and that's okay. But, like, just know that whenever the time comes and, you know, the leader just is called to it, you know. I like that that came full circle. And I like that he was able to accept his fate as, like, the destined uh, person to, to take over for his father. And the uh, destined person to lead his people um, through whatever trials and, and to have peace between the two uh, races and stuff. So, I feel like... Um, I think I like that aspect the most, and I'm really excited to see like what that looks like for Paul to like to take the mantle and like like what really I'm I'm excited to see this mystery behind his powers that he have. That's uh, gonna be the big the, the biggest voice. the biggest development yeah. of the sequel. Like, would you put that at the top for like what do you think is gonna be like the most fascinating to see, fascinating thing to see for the next film? Yeah, because we didn't really get like we didn't really understand how it works, why he has it, and mm-hmm. the whole storyline between. the 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 whisperers and then I guess the his bloodline, um, yeah. his dad's bloodline because I guess they're like two separate bloodlines that shouldn't mix or something I don't know like are apparently like the the people are like the whispering people have been leading the other people on the whole time or something I I don't, yeah, honestly, I don't it, know it, it was kind of like foggy like what what was actually like the the clear point of that um, yeah and but, I think that's yeah. a big thing with this movie too is like a lot of people didn't understand what was happening. And and I'm like, yeah, I get it. But it was also a cool movie, you know? Um, <laughs> a lot of the critics, like, on Rotten Tomatoes, like, oh, yeah, this is a really cool movie, but it's boring, you know? So I think mm-hmm. that would be a big critique. And I hope that the director... It was like know, the comprehension of the film. Like, how much you actually yeah. comprehend from the film, I don't feel a lot of people, like, had a high rating of that. Oh, yeah, no. Yeah, so I hope the director takes that into note and, like, really makes the next film, like, still have these crazy cinematic shots and a crazy soundtrack, but just, like, uh, just tightens up the story a lot and, like, explains more behind, like, what's happening, so. Definitely. And, and I mean, you mentioned, because you actually were in the theater seeing this, and for the sequel, I feel as though more people, like, from hearing just just great reviews about seeing it in the theater and that experience, um, I definitely think more people want to do that for the sequel. Like, do you think it's going to be one of those things that when the sequel comes around, more people are going to actually want to see this in person than just kind of like getting a home experience. Oh yeah, and and by the time this you know gets redone, you know I think they they they, they should be back to normal. Oh yeah, they announced that they're gonna start shooting 
for in 2022. So they haven't even mm-hmm. started filming yet. Yeah. So uh, by the time this movie comes out, you know, um, it'll definitely be like something that you have to see in the theaters just exactly. based on how people receive the first one. Um, uh, and I think this movie did its job in building the hype for the series. You know, a lot of people, even though they don't understand what's going on, they are excited to see what will go on. And like, I feel like if they don't do anything right in the second movie, um, the one thing they should do right is like get people or explain what's going on so that people stay hooked into the story. You know, the second one has to be amazing, though. I mean, oh, yeah. if you're building if you're building this much hype up for the second oh, one, yeah. I feel like the second one's gonna have the big biggest. Biggest expectations. It cannot be normal. It has to be. It has to be over the top, like good. Because if it's just an uh, average film, then the hype off the first film, yeah, you're gonna, gonna question everything. Film, yeah, it's gonna make the next film feel really flat. You know, definitely. Um, and now getting into our last topic, you know, ten years from now, do you still think this will be watchable, intriguing? Um, I definitely think it will. You know, the the, the breathtaking cinematography and it being just the startup of a possible trilogy definitely was a necessary foundation to this series. But but as we mentioned. If the second one doesn't live up to the hype, I think that could, that could possibly change things. To you, 10, year, 10 years from now, do you still think this will kind of be a watchable and intriguing movie? Yeah, I think, like I said, and like how we just talked about, this is the setup for the yes. next few. So I think, you know, in a few years, we're going to look back at this film and be like, wow, this set the second film up so beautifully, you know. Or this set the second film up terribly. Like these, it, you know… Like, then it won't be watchable and treatment. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if the second Cancel movie, it out. Yeah, if this whole trilogy is just not good, you know, yeah. story-wise, I think that the hype off the first movie is really going to, like, kill it. And, like, you're just not going to want to watch the first movie because it's like, well, you know, like, it, it was good, like, cinematic, like cinematography-wise, and the soundtrack was amazing. But, like, the story never went anywhere. And so, like, it's just going to fall short of its own glory, you know? And can we just get that. more than seven minutes from Zendaya? Can we get like just 47, oh, yeah. 57, yeah. <laughs> something yeah. more than single digits? <laughs> <laughs> if it doesn't have more than 30 minutes from Zendaya, I'm, I'm walking out. I'm walking out. Back, you know what I'm saying? I need like, to see a new, a new Euphoria season. Come on. I need, yeah. I need to see something. <laughs> I'm saying, bro. Where is Euphoria season? Where is Euphoria? See, that's the thing, Maurice. Like, like when Euphoria comes back around, we got to have you back on for that because literally that's, oh, yes. that's my show. Yes. That's my show. Yes, man. Goodness. Where is why is Drake not producing Euphoria right now? Come on, Drake. The he's album's already out. The album's already out. You're living off your your your, your successes. Come <laughs> on, man. Everything's done. Everything's yeah. done. Everything's submitted. I'm excited. I'm excited though. Absolutely. Well, Maurice, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. It's always um always great talks um with you and just thank you so much for being on, man. Yes, sir. No problem, man. Happy to be Definitely. here. Definitely. Well, that wraps it up for tonight. I'm Hill Swanson Burns. This has been Full Scope. See you later. <laughs>